Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome to, and I get to say this for the first time in almost a full calendar year, welcome to a post-victory over an SEC team edition of the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. The Gators beat Missouri. They got that monkey off their back. They've won an SEC game for the first time in almost 365 days, going back to last year's homecoming game against Vanderbilt. The Gators are on the board in the wins column in the SEC. That feels good. A lot to like about that win. A lot more to work on. We'll get to all of that momentarily. But first things first, I'm your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. Both my co-hosts with me today, Dustin Smith. You can follow him at IAKOW Dustin. Chris Yanes at Mr. Chris Bits on Twitter. And before they come on, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are very proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that sends underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. We just pulled off our 2022 campaign and a big shout out goes to Gator Nation for making it happen. I mean... Really, you guys are just incredible with donating four Champions Club tickets, donating a couple thousand dollars for, for swag and gear, um, including a football that they both got signed. Our, our two winners both got signed by literally dozens of players. Uh, you guys, you guys made this happen. We just, you know, we just put it together, but you guys were the ones that that funded this and you know, you, you guys were the engine that made this run. So thank you, Gator Nation. Uh, shout out to you guys. Shout out to Alec Gluckman, one of our winners for his incredible work ethic and determination. It would be so, so easy for him when he tears his ACL and then has epilepsy to just go into a sort of, you know, well, everything is horrible. F this, screw the world type of mentality. No, he doesn't do that. He works, he works, he works, he works, he works to get back on his feet and and back to his normal life as best as possible. Uh, shout out to Bennett for his loyalty. The Bennett Eskenazi, a 15-year-old kid who sacrifices his, his nights, his weekends to just be by his friend's side and you know, spend those extra few minutes a night just getting in a couple more steps, being there to support him. I mean, the, the recovery process obviously is, is very difficult. It's laboring, and Bennett's always been there to say, hey, come on, you could do it. You could do this. Come on, you got this. You got this. You got this. He's there time and again for his friend as a 15-year-old kid to be doing that repeatedly over the course of over a year, several times a week, even now that they don't live by each other anymore. He still manages to, to spend time you know, going over to where his friend now lives and and spending that time with him. So shout out to Bennett for that. Uh, and and these kids' stories aren't done. They're they're high school kids. So seeing where they are now as teenagers is very impressive. But I you know I, I can't wait to see what they do the rest of their high school days. But they're they're very kind and and caring and just plain good kids. And I know that they're both going to do great things in the real world as adults one day very very soon. So anyway, we've got a ton more content from our 2022 campaign with Alec and Bennett coming in the coming days and weeks. We'll be rolling that out on our social handles and our website. Social handles are at the Gator Good on Twitter, at Gator Good Foundation on Instagram, and just the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. And our website is GatorGoodFoundation.com. 
If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for the 2023 season, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. As always, donations are very much appreciated. We're looking to get a head start on our 2023 campaign before we even know what game we're going to take someone to. So to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click the donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it is web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one, it is a veteran-owned business. Can't ever really think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Number two, it's run by a UF alum and big-time Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work, and they're owned by a Florida alum who happens to be a U.S. veteran. And, oh, yeah, number three, they, you know, they've got the personal in all kinds of weather stamp of approval because they produced the new in all kinds of weather logo, the new in all kinds of weather website, also did the new Gator Collective website, the new Gator Collective logo. And we just talked about the Gator Good Foundation. They did their website as well. And they've got more Gator-related stuff on the horizon coming up. So they do great work, and they're owned by a big-time Gator fan who also happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, please go to stingraybranding.com. And with that all taken care of, Chris Yanes at Mr. Crispus, Dustin Smith at IAKOW, both on with me today. Gators got a win against an SEC opponent for the first time in almost a calendar year. Missouri is not exactly a juggernaut, but they are an SEC team. They have been a thorn in Florida's side recently. They have, I mean, honestly, given Florida some of their worst beatings in the last decade or so within the SEC play. But the Gators at least seem to exercise those demons. They got their win. They are on the board in the W column in the SEC. It's fresh. I mean, we're, we're recording this about 22 hours after the game ended. So our thoughts are still mostly fresh, but we've had some time to relive it and decompress it. So guys, with that being said, 22 hours later, what do we think? Well, you know, I think at this stage in the program, any win is a good win for us. You know, where we sit right now, we're halfway through the season officially. We sit at four and two, finally got our first SEC win, not just this season, but in one whole calendar year, because it's been one year since we defeated Vanderbilt the first weekend in October. And I do think that there are signs of improvement in certain areas. There obviously are areas still of a lot of frustration, mainly consistency with players like Anthony Richardson, consistency with defense, consistency with the offensive output. But we as a fan base, I do think need to be at least happy about the fact we sit at four and two. We defeated a top 10 team in the country the first week of the season, and we still sit in a good position to get a respectable bowl game with some wins to close out the year. And we have an incredible opportunity this Saturday night under the lights in primetime to beat a good LSU team at home to get us to five and two to go into the bye week. And if I had told you and given you the option that we could go five and two into the bye week before Georgia, I think a lot of people in this fan base would have taken it. So overall, I'm happy we got this win. I'm glad it feels good to get a win on homecoming. It feels good to beat a team we lost to last year. It feels good to get an SEC win. There's still much left to be desired in this program. 
but it is going to take time for us to see really the results and the consistency that I think we all yearn for. Uh, Billy's going to need some time to bring that about. Dustin's going to get his chance to respond in one second, but Chris, I can't just let that go. Are we sure LSU is a good team? I'm not saying they can't beat us because, I mean, we saw USF almost beat us. So any given Saturday, sure, sure, sure. But are we sure they're really that good? Well, I, I'll say maybe a, a, they're a decent SEC team. Like, we can't just show up. I mean, we have to play better than we did this last Saturday to beat LSU next Saturday. Sure. How's sure. that? So it's an improved – this is a better uh, opponent. You know, we kind of talked about, like, the – you know, like, the – The the levels. The levels, the yeah, levels, that was right? Yeah, my analogy, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. So this is the middle. This is the middle level. It's it's getting harder. It's going to be harder next week. We This is a tougher Tigers team than the Tigers team we defeated this yesterday. So – Okay, are they a good uh, SEC team, a team that is going to make a lot of noise in the West this year? Probably not, just like we aren't going to make a lot of noise in the East, unfortunately. But I do think it's a team that we're going to have to be ready for, and it is a rivalry game. It's a rivalry game, so both teams are going to give their best, I think, football uh, output out there. But certainly we'll get to that, I'm sure, later in the week. Yeah, we definitely will. So, Dustin, you've been quiet so far, so I I know you had uh, a, a little bit of a different take on the game. Gators did win. That's the most important thing. But there were a lot of things that I know you didn't like, and I'm sure you'd like to share them with all of us. So what what stuck out to you the most? What was the most problematic thing that you saw against Missouri? My biggest issue with this team is inconsistency. Um, I know we've we've said it before. It's very difficult to see the offense and the defense be good at the same time, though I feel like to some degree – we saw that happen in the uh, the third quarter. Uh, we were explosive in the run game in, in the, the second half, and that really helped us win. Uh, ETN is incredible and really should be the starting running back. Um, now, the big thing and, and the reason why I'm, why, I'm, why, I've, why I'm kind of taken aback, if you've seen some of my comments on Twitter, I'm uh, – I've went from being the Pollyanna of the podcast to what we've uh, coined as Debbie Downer Dustin. The alliteration has arrived. And the reason why I'm so down is because we don't know what we're going to get from this team week in and week out. Anthony Richardson against Tennessee looks like a Heisman winner. And then fast forward to the next two games, he doesn't progress. He, 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 takes a few steps back and no, he didn't lose us the game this time. Although he could have that interception was bad though. It wasn't completely his fault. He needed to get the ball out quicker, the fumble, which I don't think it was a fumble, but it obviously officially was called a fumble. So we got to call it like it is. The fumble was bad and and inexcusable in that situation. You got to hold on to the ball. Um, It's really hard to figure out this team and, in a, in a couple days when we do our LSU preview and you and y'all listen to my pick, you are going to see that live and in color on how hard it is to look at this team. But at the end of the day, it's growing pains. I will always stand by Billy Napier until I have data to prove otherwise. Billy Napier is the right coach. He's done a phenomenal job. We're going to talk about some decisions that he made during the game later on that was slightly questionable, but at least we know we have the right man at the helm. And do things look ugly at times? Of course they do. But will things get better? Of course they will. And that's what I have to say, and I'm going to stand by it. 
So, I mean, the ending of your monologue there is spot on. It's it's right on the money. I I don't know why fans and not not you specifically. There there are a lot a lot more unreasonable brands of fans than you. But why fans are are content going into the season saying, yeah, if we go eight and four, nine and three, I'll be happy. Because I mean, nobody realistically said, yeah, this team is going to win a national championship. They're going to go undefeated and win the night. Nobody realistically said that, but there, there is a quite a noticeable bastion of fans that said, yeah, eight and four would be fine. Given the schedule, given the the mess that Dan Mullen left us with. And now those same people are going, well, that's inexcusable. That's horrible. That's terrible. But I, I had tweets yesterday. I quote tweeted one of them saying Billy should be on the hot seat. That same person said three months ago that eight and four would be a good first season. So, I mean, we're getting what we expected. We're exactly halfway to that eight and four mark. Literally, if you double four and two, you will get eight and four. Now, I understand the harder part of the schedule is coming up. Tennessee and Kentucky weren't cupcakes, but the second half of the schedule is much harder than the first. I mean, Georgia... LSU, FSU is not a joke. They're not good, but they could beat us. South Carolina taking down the Kentucky team that beat us. That's not going to be a free win. Uh, to Texas A&M, I don't know. Florida could lose that game. It wouldn't shock me. So even, even your tweet yesterday that said, uh, you know, Florida would be lucky to go six and six if they lost this Missouri game, which they did not. So now, you know, I know that you've adjusted that to say seven and five with that win in the back pocket, but yeah, it's not wrong to say that Florida would be lucky to go seven and five if they play like they did. The thing is, as you pointed out, Florida is inconsistent. And yesterday was a bad showing. They could turn things around and look a lot better against LSU and Georgia. I'm not so sure that Florida doesn't go to Jacksonville and beat Georgia and then turn right around and lose back-to-back games to AM and South Carolina. That would not shock me at all. Because like you said, the team is inconsistent, but Bottom line, this is a new regime. It is year one of Billy Napier's tenure. Things are not going to look polished the way they will in year three, four, five, and so on. So I think if we take this team for what it is, a rebuilding team, very talented quarterback, but ultimately still a very raw one. We we saw another not great performance from him yesterday. He wasn't on his game. If we take this team for what it is and accept its flaws, and like Chris said, we celebrate the wins. We're happy about them. But when the losses happen, we say to ourselves, well, we knew we had holes. Those holes showed up. The other team exploited those holes. And, well, now we have a loss that we kind of knew was coming. So as long as we discuss this team from the standpoint of we don't expect it to be great, there will And there will be future teams that we do not say this about. This is only acceptable for year one. You do not get to say in years two, three, four, five, six, and seven, oh, it's all a new regime, it's all building. No, 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 no. That, that excuse dies after this year. And maybe, you know, if he has an, like a back-to-back championship game run or something in the CFP and then the team falls back down to earth, okay, maybe you, you can use it then. This excuse does not work every year. So if you're listening to this and saying, well, you guys are, are too – are too lenient. You were on Mike White about not producing enough. You were on Dan Mullen saying, well, he didn't win enough after he went to three straight New Year's Six Bowls. This excuse dies after this year. But within the context of what we have this year, this is how you have to look at this team. Yeah, that would be a very Florida thing to do to beat Georgia and then lose the other games. <laughs> wow. 
I think in just touching a little bit too, Neil, on what you just said, I like what you said about how this is only excuse for your one. Because uh, I had a couple people, you know, I privately was talking to yesterday, a lot of people showing a lot of ire toward, especially the decision that Billy Napier's, you know, kind of calling his own plays. Uh, and then also Patrick Tony there, they felt that we maybe we needed a better defensive coordinator. I think all that gets a pass in year one. And also they're not getting replaced after this year, no matter what, uh, other than like a cataclysmic thing to happen. So or if they leave on their own terms. Or if they leave, right, true. Uh, maybe not going to leave. Uh, and I don't see Tony. Patrick Tony might. Uh, eh, probably not. I, I don't see it happening. But nonetheless, I, these guys get a pass because at the end of the day, the majority of this roster that's starting and playing is still not their own personnel, the guys that they want to bring in to make their scheme work. So they get a, I think for me, they get a pass. Once they have their guys year two and three, the, like you say, the excuses are gone. So that, I think that's why I'm trying to exercise some patience here. And like I talked about in my article two weeks ago, you, we've got to trust the journey. We've got to trust the journey. And there are other metrics we could look at in year one. I'll talk about some things that I was impressed with yesterday. Did anybody else notice who the majority of the carries went to yesterday? Montreal Johnson got the start and Trevor yeah. Etienne toted the Rockets when he had the hot hand toward the end of the game. There were uh, 18 of the carries, which were, I, I have to go back and look, but I believe it was over three-fourths of the carries went to those two players, which is what we've been asking for. We got it. Uh you know, I think that the defense did at times tighten up yesterday, especially in the second half. Uh, Missouri, you know, they had over they had about 200 yards of offense in the first half. We kept them down around a buck 50 in the second. That that's exact. That was a little bit of an improvement, and it was more toward the end of the game when they were driving the ball to try to tie the game, where they got some of those yards. So I think I think there are some things we can look at where signs of improvement. The offense also played a lot better. As Dustin mentioned, they ran the ball better in the second half. We had ended up almost with his padlock stack that he talked about uh, on the preview pod where we needed about 250 yards rushing. We ended up with 231, which is still a great day for, for running the football. And if you look at nationally speaking, we're top 20 right now in running the football which is what we expected the strength of this team to be. So we are leaning on our strengths offensively. I just think the passing game sometimes isn't uh, necessarily matching up yet. And that could have something to do with the fact that Anthony Richardson, for, for whatever reason, just hasn't been the same running quarterback as he has in the past because his running ability is what is going to open up that downfield passing game a little bit when teams have to stay in the box and respect that. So I, I, I think that it, I do think this is going to get better. I think that we're going to have to just take this week to week, like everybody is saying here, and just see where the season goes. But, you know, overall, I'm sitting here really happy with where we're at. And, you know, not to – I'm not sure how many people saw it, but Dejon Johnson out of Tampa, top 100 player, and Nat said that he's going to be announcing in four days. All signs indicate that he's going to be a Gator. We're going to be getting Bryce Thornton next week. We get those two commitments. We're going to have a top eight recruiting class. That is great. We never had a top eight recruiting class under Dan Mullen. We haven't had a top eight recruiting class in eight years, nine years. We're, we're, we're trending in the right direction for something that is the most important. That is recruiting. So oh, I, I'm, I'm just happy where we're at right now with our record and happy where the recruiting is. And I think that is what's going to ultimately bring this program to the level of the expectation that we all want. And this is what you wrote about in your last article. That's exactly what you said. You said that the journey is continuing, stylized, of course, with the capital O-U-R, as the University of Florida does. 
but the journey is continuing and recruiting is at the heart of it. Wins and losses are important. Yes, you cannot just throw a year out the out the window into the garbage and say, well, I don't care if we go two and 10 as long as we recruit well. No, you obviously can't do that. But if the wins and losses are at least at a respectable point, yeah, recruiting is more important. I mean, would you, and this is coming from a guy that I hate the star system. I hate it. I hate comparing a class that's that's 289.52 to 289.47. I, I detest that. But I would take a top five class, or hypothetically, I would take a top 10 class and an eight and four record versus a class in the in the 40s and nine and three because you're building for the future there. And Florida's doing that. Napier's building relationships with these players. He's making them buy in. Even yesterday, by the way, gonna gonna say. I call major BS on the announced attendance, but it wasn't a terrible showing for a noon kickoff against a not great program. The The middle you know, was, was full. The, the sidelines were full. People came to see their Gators and they were loud. And Missouri converted a ton of third downs. We'll actually get to that next, but the crowd was loud for him. It wasn't the crowd's fault. They got up. They got loud. They did their part. Uh, Brady Cook kept having to go to individual linemen and his running backs and keep yelling out what the play was. The crowd did its part. Recruits see that. Recruits notice that. Recruits can say to themselves, yeah, you know what? Maybe I do want to play in this environment. Because they know, too, that noon games are not exactly the loudest that the Swamp will get. So they'll tell themselves, oh, this is this, is this loud here. Oh wow! Well, next week against LSU is going to be even more loud um, against a top ten FSU team. Say next year when they come to the swamp, if they get their program there. Which, by the way, I was laughing hysterically at that ending because I was in Tallahassee for that with some Knoll fans. But if they get their program back up, rivalry game, top ten opponent, whatever. Oh yeah, I could play in that. Recruits are envisioning what. I mean, I think is the dream scenario for them. They're seeing what Billy Napier is doing and building, and they can see themselves as part of it. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I think that's something really big to think about because Napier is building the program the right way. And if you look at other teams around the country, you look at uh, what Miami has done uh, now, I believe they've lost three straight under Cristobal. And he's attempting to build a program, but there are some holes in what he's doing and it's showing on the field. But the biggest concern is how it's going to show uh, moving down the line. Billy Napier is building the army. Billy Napier is he is relentless on the recruiting trail and he's a person of integrity, somebody that the parents want coaching their kids. And he's somebody that cares about the Gators. He cares about football, what he's done with the alumni base, what he's done to really cement the Gator Nation is what it needs to be, uh, set that standard. Dan Mullen would speak the Gator standard, but Billy Napier is speaking the Gator standard with his actions. And his actions speak so much louder than whatever words Dan Mullen was trying to say. So as we put this game to bed, I know it was a win. I know it was quite ho-hum. But as we put it into perspective, it's a it's a big-time victory. Florida has come out of the swamp with the dub, and we have an opportunity for a big-time showdown. Uh, two two-loss teams in, in the swamp, Florida, LSU, it's going to be big. One more item of context. Think about Alabama versus Texas A&M. Now, obviously, Alabama didn't have their star quarterback, but we've seen Alabama in the past 
win big time games and even win national championships with three star quarterbacks. This guy's a five star quarterback, uh, excellent um, recruit. And we all thought that Bama, even with the backup quarterback, was going to do pretty well in Tuscaloosa. They only won by four points against a team they were picked by 20. Now, obviously, Bama won. That's what matters most. But Florida wasn't the only team that had a run-in with with uh, not playing to the expectation. I mean, look at last week with Missouri. Georgia was supposed to obliterate Missouri, but that game went down to the fourth quarter. You never know. As, uh, as our friend Josh Pate likes to say, every given Saturday. And I'm certainly happy, and I know Neil and, and Chris would also say this as well. We're very happy that on this given Saturday, Florida came out with a victory. They did. And you know what? The most impressive thing is to me, the sign of a great team is that they can win when they play their B or C games. And I'm not saying Florida is a great team. They're very clearly not because they have so many holes at so many spots on the field. But a trait of a great team is winning when you don't play your A game. And Florida did that yesterday. And, and here's what I'll say about them uh, on – I'll go defense first, and then I'll go to the offense. Each, each side of the ball did not play well, but they each get a gold star for one thing. The defense, gold star for you for still giving up a ton of yards. That's you know not good. Giving up a third and 23 and a third and 13 on back-to-back sets of downs is just awful. But now they're forcing turnovers. We got a pick six. Jaden Hill snuffs out another drive that wipes at least three, probably seven Missouri points off the board there. Defense is at least taking the ball away now. I mean, I I can live with giving up 370 yards or whatever it was that Missouri had. I think it was 372, but I can live with that if Florida's going to take the ball away and directly remove points from the scoreboard from the other team. And on the offensive side of the ball, the offense isn't that great, but we have an offensive line now that's consistent. Now, yes, there were plays where I couldn't tell who it was from. I really, I watched the tape again this morning. I couldn't really see any better here. I'll try to get an all 22 look, but from, from the tape and from watching it live, I couldn't really see whose fault it was, but there were some missed assignments. There were Missouri defenders that just had free waltzes into the backfield and blew a couple of plays up. There were a few of those, but for the most part, the offensive line has been consistently good. We can rely on that in some big games against really good teams. And I'm not saying that we can dominate Georgia the way we you know, dominated some teams at the line of scrimmage with our offensive line, but we can hold our own. We can look respectable against them and have some running room for our running backs. And like you said, Dustin, Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, or was that Chris who said that? I can't even remember, but one of you said that. And we've got our two best running backs now running the ball primarily Naquan, Wright, You know, great kid, great leader. I, and I, I love what I hear about him in the locker room, always keeping guys light, making them laugh. And I like what he can do as a pass catcher. He can be very valuable there, but our two best ball carriers are carrying the ball period. Now that we figured that out, if we run them behind our offensive line, we can stay in a lot of games as long as we don't turn the ball over. So with the, with the forcing of turnovers and the fallback option to just run the rock and you know, keep slamming it in there, and eventually something will break. As we saw, big holes were opened. 
Montreal Johnson in the fourth quarter had a huge hole and he had the vision to get through it and be gone for a, a 35 yard gain or whatever. We rely on those two things with granted, not great otherwise showings from those units and Florida can slug their way to a lot of ugly wins, which most importantly are wins. So if this team does go eight and four and they match the preseason expectation, they'll probably do it because those two things step up for them. The turnover forcing on defense and the offensive line stepping up and providing some nice holes for ETN and Johnson to run through. And that would be a sign that this program is learning how to win. And that will be very valuable, even as the seniors from this year's team leave next year moving forward. Yeah, I agree with that. I I like how you pointed out that, you know, a sign of a good team is a team that still wins despite not playing well. Because this game was playing out very similar to Kentucky uh, early in the game. You know, Florida had their opportunity. When they were up 10-0, they had an opportunity to go up 17-0. And Anthony threw actually a really good ball to Jaquavian Frazier's in the end zone. He dropped it. Put us would have put us up 17-0 at that time. And I honestly think if if uh if we go up 17-0, that's curtains. I think the game, I don't think Missouri calls back in that game, but we let them back in, similar to how we let Kentucky back in that game. And I had said in the preview pod to this game that this was a, a team that plays very similar to Kentucky, and that's why I was concerned about this matchup. Dustin and I ended up being right on the money with the difference in this game. We both said it was a seven-point difference, and and it was uh, a couple touchdowns short. But nonetheless, you know, this game played out exactly kind of how we thought it would. And that was because of the style of Missouri plays and Florida's potential inability to to put a team away when they have a chance. So that did come to uh, unfortunately did happen. But I like you said, Neil, this team found a way to win the game. And that's and that's what matters. That's what's going to matter as we move forward. We only have two more home games on the slate. We have a tough neutral side game uh, against Georgia. We have a, a, a tough road game against Texas A&M and then a tough game on Black Friday against Florida State. We're going to have to find ways to win those games like we did this past Saturday. I, I don't, looking at the schedule, I'm not sure there's another game, maybe outside of Vanderbilt, that we can potentially blow out. I, I just don't see it. I think we're going to be in a lot of close games the rest of the year, and this team's we're going to have to just claw and find our way. But you look at the team, and Billy Napier talks about this a lot in his press conferences and just in general, how this team always tends to respond to adversity. At the beginning of the year, we talked about how that was a major key for this team. How do they respond to adversity? Because in the last regime, they didn't do so very well, especially toward the end of 2020 and all through 2021. So I'm really impressed with the way how this team responds. They come up, they make plays when they need to make them at times. And that's what's allowed us to get to this four and two start. That's what, that's what allowed us to beat a top 10 team at the beginning of the season. Looking at the defense, though, because I know that's kind of what we're talking about now, I think that the defense, you know, they still have issues with running the football. There isn't really outside of maybe interceptions and turnover margin, which is, is, is even right now. There isn't a whole lot to to really write home about this defense. And it, it's, it's, it's still a work in progress. And I attribute that a lot to the personnel. There were, you know, a lot of flashbacks to the third and Grantham yesterday when we were giving up third and 15, third and 18, third and 20. I think there were at least two or three of those in there when we probably could have put this game away a lot sooner. And I had to stress the last couple of minutes there that to me, I don't think it was poor play calling. I look at it as bad alignment, bad tackling, very bad tackling, especially like it. it, it the one thing that I will say, I hope they work on this week is that when you have a player on the sideline, 
use the sideline to your advantage. There were at least three or four instances, and some of these on these third down conversions for Missouri, where all the Florida defender had to do was push him out on the sideline, go push him out, and the play would have been dead. And it's just kind of, I think they're not aware of where they are on the field at times. Like, you weren't even in the open field. You were right there five to ten, five yards from the sideline. Use your body and get him out. And then we would have we would have stopped some of those drives if that was the case. So I don't think that this was some of those cases was bad play calling by Patrick Tony. I think it was guys just not in the right position and not understanding where they were on the field and how to actually end a play. So, you know, defense, you know, they they obviously leave a lot to be desired, but I think some of it is that the players need to have a better understanding of where they are on the field. So, Chris, I'll respond to that with a very quick question. Um, just as, as a case study, how did you think Jadarius Perkins played against Missouri? I think it was one of his uh, worst games, actually. Yeah, I actually I th- was not. I was I was actually disappointed because he finally got the play time. I think he, we all were hoping for. And I don't think he delivered. So I, I'm at, I was actually disappointed. So so he definitely missed the one tackle at the end. That was bad. I thought he was he was up and down, hit or miss. Uh, he, he did make a couple of plays. He missed on a couple other plays. And I talked to him after the game because yesterday, shout out Gator Good Foundation. Amazing, amazing day. Uh, thank you all, Gator Nation, by the way, for that, uh, making that happen. But met him after the game. He met our candidates after the game. Everyone, like all the kids were getting their, their jersey signed, their, their hat signed, football signed, whatever. And they all kept telling him, game, uh, a good game, JD, good game. And he just, he shook his head. He was like, no, nah, guys, no. And, no, I, I got, I got to do better. I got to, I got to be better. I, I appreciate it, but I, I got to be better. So at least now we're seeing accountability. And I, I understand that accountability is not a pass for an infinite number of games like that. I realize at some point you'll have to make a, a business decision. And if you keep struggling, you'll have to do something different back there. But a year ago, we're not seeing that. We're seeing finger pointing in the locker room. I'm, I have it on good authority that guys are pointing fingers every which way in that locker room. It was at its worst in 2020 with, uh, you, you know, who back there in the secondary and you, uh, you know, who number two on the offense on the other side of the ball, but it was ridiculous how many guys were pointing fingers, just sh- shedding blame off themselves and saying, no, man, maybe, maybe I dropped the ball, but this other guy misses a tackle and that gives you know, the other team a first down and keeps the drive going and we win if that doesn't happen. There's none of that this year. Well, there's there's a very small amount of it this year, but there's a lot less of it than there was last year. So, you know, I, I bring that out because we don't really get to know what happens in the locker room. It's very rare that we do. So in this rare case where I have this bit of, I don't even know if you call it inside info because everyone else who is you know out there signing autographs at like five o'clock could see it for themselves. But there's accountability being taken. Guys have the right attitude. Whatever Billy Napier is telling the guys behind closed doors when the cameras aren't rolling is clearly making an impact. And maybe what he's telling them when the cameras are rolling, as we see those those weekly journey videos from uh, Doug Deming, you know, maybe that's all having an effect on them. But whatever it is, the guys at least have the right attitude. And that's where it has to start. Okay, you're not going to overturn the roster and get five-star after five-star in the locker room in the snap of the finger. It's going to take time. It's going to take recruiting classes. Recruits talk. Recruits gossip. Recruits visit. Recruits talk to the current players. Recruits just listen to what the, the players are saying to each other when they're on the field. 
they know what's happening. And that goes back to the initial point where this is going to just take time. The thing is, the team doesn't look great, but the pre-embryonic signs of this team getting its its stuff turned around are there. So trust the process for as much as we're going to, you know, as we have gotten into and a couple more points to go to with how Florida looks far from perfect right now as a football team for all that we're going to say in that regard, trust the process. It's going to take time. And the pre 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 signs of getting this turned around are in fact there. So that was why I brought up Perkins. All right. Um, one more. Th- I mean, the last thing I really want to talk about is, I mean, we'll get to this, I guess, in a more put it to bed sort of fashion for the the final word, but special teams is, is a problem guys. Um, I don't know what we're going to do because with all the one score games, Florida is playing right now. It would really be nice if we had a kicker we could rely on. And I understand that those are tough. Those are tough kicks. Okay. I mean, kicking from, I think 49 and, and 51, it's not easy, but if you're going to be an SEC kicker and you're going to be on a team that plays all these one score games, and even if your offense is doing its job on a, on a given day, but you're just facing a really good defense, like say Georgia or, well, not that they're good, but LSU has a lot of five stars on that defense. You're playing a better defense. You're going to need a special teams that can make a difference. We had a nice punt return, but two missed field goals. You make either of them. You just split those two missed field goals and the game is over at that last drive. There's no nerves whatsoever about it, but we don't have that and it's become a problem. So guys, what do you think we do there? Yeah. I think the experiment of Adam Mahalik is over. (laughs) I was high on him going into the season and I, I I've seen enough. Like I get he's missed two 50 yard field goals. Those are tough field goals to make, but then the, the one, the, the one he missed out of halftime was so bad. Like it was very left, not even close. And I mean, he got blocked last week. I just, I want to see what Trace Mack has. I mean, this is a guy you recruited. He's one of the recruits left over from the Mullen uh, group that you didn't uh, process from the class. You wanted him on this team. I, I think it's time. And he's kicking the ball farther. Like, because like, we saw Mahala kick two kickoffs. He was struggling to hit the end zone consistently and get touchbacks. Um, Smack is doing it nearly every single time. So I know he's got a better leg than Mahalik. I want to see him kick. I, I think I, at this point, you, you're letting him do the kickoffs. He's your scholarship kicker. For crying out loud, the guy's last name is Smack. You know, that he's just born to be a kicker. And I think I, I'm just ready to see him be the starting kicker for a game. I, I think it's time to let him do it. If you want, maybe if you want to try to split the baby and, and let Mahalik do the ones inside of 40 because he's done very well there and then let Smack take the ones 40 plus fine. But at this point, I've seen enough to know that I think that Adam is just very inconsistent. He, you know, for the early success that he had in the spring and then at the very early beginning of this season, it seems to have waned. And I'm ready to see some Troy Smack. I know he was struggling with a little bit of an injury, but I'm curious to see if he's already doing kickoffs, then he's obviously healthy to kick the ball. So let's let him, let's let him take some field goal attempts. The other thing I want to touch, though, on special teams is I like that we're not returning the ball out. I think we've seen it a little bit more this week now. We've seen more touchbacks. I think the coaching staff kind of has put that to bed. They sometimes do still, but it's not as frequent as it used to be. And we're not getting those costly penalties that we were at the beginning of the year. We're setting the possession back even farther. So 
And then uh, uh, our punt game hasn't been a problem. So we're improving, I think, in one area of special teams, but we're going backward in another. But I think this is an area we can correct because I think we have the personnel to correct it now. For sure. Yeah, I definitely – Definitely think we can um we can we can correct that. And and look, it was nice to see Baby Hendo get that big punt return. I mean, he's he's taken mm. a beating from the fan base for not doing his job on special teams for any variety of reasons, like returning kicks from two yards deep in the end zone, bobbling punts. I mean, he he you know, he made a big play. So give him respect, give him his credit for that. But um yeah, definitely something to to watch moving forward. Dustin, um I mean, I, I know that, you know, I could ask you the same question, but I know that we also haven't gotten to the, the most important thing that you want to talk about, which is the play of Anthony Richardson, which frankly was not very good yesterday. I mean, he did make a few nice plays. He did make a few throws here and there. The touchdown pass that he probably should have had did, that wasn't because it was dropped was a, was a dime through a nice ball to Ricky Pearsall, but the sum of his performance wasn't really that good. So it looks like we have seen another dip in the the sort of sine wave of a of a results table that we've been getting from Anthony so far this year. So you're the former quarterback here. What did you think? What did you make of it? And I mean, now what? So with Anthony Richardson, it really was a tale of two halves. The first half, he was four for nine for 46 yards. And the big thing to note is that he only ran the ball once for negative three yards. That was a, it appeared to be a design run that was clearly out of place in, in the, the manner it was stopped right away where we really saw Anthony Richardson step into another gear. It was in the second half and the play had completely broken down and he saw the hole and then he went through the, the crevice and almost scored a touchdown. My big concern, and this is actually something that I would probably attribute more to coaching than I would even Anthony Richardson. It seems that Anthony Richardson, and it's not even a seeming thing. Anthony Richardson plays best when he can play as himself. And fundamentally, Anthony Richardson is a running quarterback who throws the ball exceptionally when the run is being done well. When he's not able to run, when he's not able to play within uh, his mental strengths, he overthinks things, and he's, his quarterback play is a lot slower. His progression through the reads is a lot slower, and that leads to poor plays. For example, that interception, it probably should have been caught, but from Anthony Richardson's side, he should have thrown the ball about a second or two earlier. That that, it, that throw was open, but then as the play progressed, that receiver went from being uncovered to in coverage. You have to throw the ball in the passing lane. That's something that Steve Spurrier executed brilliantly with his offense when he coached for Florida. It's all about the passing lane. And my biggest observation is when Anthony Richardson is able to run the ball, he's also able to throw the ball. You look at the drive where – we saw Pearsall get that great touchdown pass. It happened largely in part because there was a threat for Anthony to run the ball. Anthony had rolled out. He rolled to his right, and he had the opportunity to run in, into the end zone if he wanted to. The defense came up, and it made that play to Pearsall wide open. Pearsall caught it, touchdown, that seven points 
was the difference in the game. So my big thing, my biggest takeaway is what is going on with Richardson? I mean, I know that there's there's some information out there that he might be hurt. Okay. Well, if he's hurt, then why, why are you playing him? I mean, he's good. He's a really good quarterback. But my question being, this is just a devil's advocate question. I'm not saying we bench Richardson. He's a big leader and a big part of this team. But if he's not giving you if he's not giving you what you need to be successful at 50%, then why not try a Kidna on a drive? Because Kidna's at least serviceable. Kidna's able to make throws. We saw again against inferior competition, but Kidna was able to read the field. His first read wasn't always open. He had to go to the second and third read against Eastern Washington. I thought that was great. Fundamentally, Kidna did pretty good in that game. So if Richardson is not 100% and it's belaboring to have him run, then what do we do? Or the other side of the coin is maybe Richardson is better than – maybe Richardson's okay or at least okay enough to be able to run the ball effectively, which we saw him run pretty well on that, that long run that we talked about. The other side is maybe Billy Napier is trying to instill a system where the quarterback doesn't run like we saw with Dan Mullen's system. Well, that's something to think about in the offseason. But now that we're in season and we have a quarterback that can win you games on his legs, that's something you have to think about. That's something you have to execute. You have to be willing to adapt to your personnel. Okay, for all the for all the critique that we gave to Dan Mullen as a CEO, terrible CEO coach. My one big credit to Dan Mullen when he coached at the University of Florida is when throwing the ball was something that was a weakness. We ran the ball incredibly. And then the following year, when throwing the ball was our strength and running the ball was our weakness, we threw the ball and threw for more passing yards than any other team in the country in 2020. This year, I want to see Billy Napier adapt a system where we use Anthony Richardson's strengths. Well, I agree, Dustin. I, I agree, Dustin. I, I think that, like, if I'm going to go back to answering your question, though, on whether or not playing against the devil's advocate, I think that Anthony Richardson still gives you the best chance to to win and win big now because I think his ceiling is to the moon. You know, whereas I'm not sure Kitna's or Jack Miller's is. It's baseline. Those guys are maybe a high floor but low ceiling. And I'd rather develop the guy who has the, the meteoric ceiling right now in a rebuilding year because I this is my gut, and I know that there's been a lot of mock drafts out there, and, and maybe you can comment on this, that have him still, despite his inconsistencies and struggles, as a top 10 overall pick next year in the NFL draft. I just find it very difficult to believe that that's going to happen because when you're talking about, you're talking about teams making large multi-million dollar investments in a quarterback who is inconsistent at the college level. I can't imagine he gained consistencies at the NFL level until he's a finished polished product. I think he needs another year in Billy Aker's system. I also think he's got to figure out rehab. He's got to figure out how to stay healthy because I do think he is nag. There is a nagging injury with him, probably a hamstring like it was last year. It's probably not as severe as it was last year, which is why he's still able to play. But I think he's afraid of aggravating it further where he would be out for a prolonged period of time. 
So I, I think that right now you have to go with the guy who has the incredibly high ceiling, who in my mind should return to school next year and go through another year in Billy Napier's system where he and, and, and Anthony can work together on how to make him the better quarterback that he, we all know that he's capable of beating Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. That's what we're, we're yearning for, we're hoping for, and that's when this team is going to take off. It could even happen this year. You never know. I mean, he put together two really solid games in a row, and then he reverted back to kind of average. I don't think it was below average where he was against USF and against Kentucky. I think this was probably his third worst game of the season, but and it wasn't he didn't drop off a cliff on Saturday. He made a huge play in that game on the fourth and two where I thought he held the ball a little bit too long, but eventually he saw the hole, hit it, and he he probably could have scored on that play. Um, so he makes plays still when he needs to, and he shows an ability to really thread the ball. That that ball in the end zone to Pearsall was a thing of beauty. On the run, throwing against his body, and he just slings it in there right on the money. Uh, that ended up being the winning touchdown. So I, I think that we've got to stick with Anthony, but to your point, I want to see him run the ball more. I, 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 I think Billy Napier can run his offensive system like he does. We've all compared it to the San Francisco 49ers offense, the NFL more pro style offense. I think that he can still have, he can still have both ways. He can have that motion offense, you know, those RPOs that he likes to run, but at the same time, let Anthony run free. I have a lot. Yeah, there, there, are, there are a lot of points in there that that need very, very, very quick needlepoint responses. Number one, playing devil's advocate. Is Anthony Richardson at his worst a liability to us when we have other guys on the team that we could play over him? No, because we don't know what their floors are because we don't we haven't seen them get sacked seven times by LSU or Georgia and see how they respond to that or when they, they have an off day. And they're, you know, maybe they get in their own head or they get a quote unquote injury scare or something. We haven't seen them at their worst when they're in the game as backups and mop up duty. There's no pressure on them. And in fact, they think, well, this could only be considered well for me. This can only go well because if I do well, I shock everyone. And everyone's like, oh, look at this kid. Look at Jalen Kitna. How about that? Oh, he's, oh, he's John Kitna's son. Oh, wow. Maybe he goes in the family. Oh, wow. New, new fans to, you know, pay attention to him and, and, you know, be a rock star fan for them, if anything. Um, and if they don't do well, then, well, no one expected anything of them anyway. So, okay. But then if they get the job for themselves and they start at quarterback and they don't do well and, you know, things don't go well for them, then they could really just fall off the cliff. So we don't know what, what their floors are. Second, Dan Mullen and Billy Napier are not the same coaches. And that cuts both ways. That is a positive in the recruiting aspect, in the relationship building aspect, and in the CEO aspect, and that's a negative in the X's and O's standpoint because we've you know we've seen Billy Napier make a lot of questionable decisions in not that long of a time. He's coached at Florida for exactly 0.5 of one season. That's not a big sample size, and yet there have been questionable decisions in a very, very, very large quantity in in those six games. So. You know, we got someone that we got because he wasn't Dan Mullen. We hired him because he wasn't Dan Mullen. But that goes for both Mullen's strengths and Mullen's weaknesses. And I think we have to just move forward 
knowing that. He will take risks that Mullen did not take. He will be conservative in some areas that Mullen wasn't. He'll make personnel decisions in different ways than Mullen. He'll recruit better than Mullen, which is great, but some of his in-game decisions aren't going to be as sharp as Mullen's were, and we have to make peace with that because that's what we wanted. We wanted the not-Dan-Mullen guy, and we got it for both better and worse. So with that all said, guys, time to put this game to bed. Florida did win the game. They did you know, go to 1-2 and two in the SEC as opposed to 0-3, oh which is good but still a lot of stuff that we could probably look to get better. So that's probably going to come off our grades a little bit, but we know the drill player of the game, player of the game and grades for offense, defense, special teams, and coaches. Chris, we'll let you go first with your play of the game. What do you have? So I'm going to go play with like a parenthesis S in it plays Jaden Hill, uh, Jaden Hill interception, the pick six, Welcome back, Jaden Hill. Could not be more excited for that guy. It was crushing to see him tear his ACL last year in fall camp. He had to fight a hard to get back. It was a longer timeline than I think he, many predicted. A lot of times ACLs now have been sped up to that six to nine month timeline. His took over a year, but it is so great to have him out there. He was definitely, he looked a little timid last week, but then this week he just, he just flew around to the ball. Like, Flew to tackle. He was a great tackler. He made, obviously, the pick six. And then he made the interception when the Missouri was, at the very least, headed for a field goal, which kept three points off the board. He definitely made the play plays of the game for me. So my play of the game would have to be, and it wasn't even a touchdown, it'd have to be Anthony Richardson's 32-yard run on fourth and two. To that point, as we had already discussed, Anthony's performance was somewhat below average. And on second and 10, he had a incomplete pass to Justin Shorter. And then on the very next play, we had a good run by uh, ETN for eight yards, fourth and two. Anthony Richardson is about to throw the ball. Play breaks down. He goes up the middle, 32 yards, almost a touchdown. And then on the very next play, Montreal Johnson three-yard touchdown run. If Anthony Richardson does not get that, I don't know what happens. Fourth and two, we turn over on downs. At that point, the game was tied. Could have been, we, we could be looking at a very different outcome. So that's why I'm saying that'd be the play of the game. On top of that, the very next drive, we drive down the field and score a touchdown. So that gives him confidence, a 91-yard at that, the falling drive. So, Okay. Um, I'm surprised that – I mean, the Jaden Hill pick six especially has to be one of them. The other pick is definitely a good one. Dustin, your play was, was good. I wouldn't have thought of that. Uh, mine is a touchdown to Pearsall. That, because, because that was the play where Anthony Richardson said, okay, I'm not playing very well on this day, but I'm still going to play well enough to give my team the victory over Missouri. And that, was, and that was a dime. That was a perfectly thrown ball to Ricky Pearsall. I mean, maybe he could throw it a tenth of a second sooner, not too much sooner because then it would have been picked off, but maybe 0.1 to 0.2 tenths of a second sooner. But, you know, for, for, for what he had there, for when he threw it, that ball was perfectly thrown Pierce Saul with a great catch. He didn't do a ton on this day, but he made the play when he had to make it. 
And that put Florida up um, and in a position where they would not relinquish the lead. So that was the play of the game. I think we're all going to say Jaden Hill for our player of the game. So, um, I mean, we, we, we can all, do we all acknowledge that? Were we all going to say Jaden Hill? He's mine. For He's sure. mine too. Yeah. Dustin. Yeah. I would say Jaden Hill. Now I know we typically go with someone else. Uh, Ventral Miller would certainly be an honorable mention with how great he played. But yeah, I think, I think we're all in agreement on that. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that honorable mention there too, Dustin. He was, yeah. he was all over the ball. I, he, he had 11 tackles and 10 of them were solo. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, he, that's impressive. Guy's an NFL was, linebacker. He was just everywhere. Um, and I'll give another, I'll give another honorable mention to Montreal Johnson on the day because he had eight carries for 86 yards and touchdown. I, I mean, his numbers are naturally going to suffer when he splits the carries with ETN, but he got through that hole in the fourth quarter on that play. Offensive line, by the way, credit to them for, for breaking that hole open. But Montreal Johnson puts one foot in the ground and zips through it. He is gone through that hole. There's no dancing in the backfield. There's no, well, maybe they'll open up another hole if I dance around for three more seconds on the other side and I can reverse my field like I'm Percy Harvin and just juke my way through the whole defense or Kadarius Tony. No, he sees the hole, snap finger, boom, goes, gone. And it's a 30-plus yard gain. So love that vision, love that decisiveness in a big moment. And he, remember, it's his only his sophomore year of college, he's still a youngster. So he did a nice job to get through there. And also aside from that had 50 plus yards on the day. So he gets my honorable mention, but Jaden Hill, very, very difficult to argue against him for player of the game. And now grace, this is going to be uh, a ride. So Chris, you go first and then Dustin, and then I'll cap it off. So my, so my grades, uh, I got to give the offense credit because, like, first half, it would have been, like, a fail. But they did play a lot better in the second. And they did enough to win the game. So I'm going to give it a solid C. I think that's fair, just given how they ended up with 231 rushing yards. And they made plays in the second half to win that game. Defensively, I'd probably say C, too, because the, you, you can't – you got to pick six. You got a second pick six of the season, made a huge critical interception down in the red zone. They also definitely made some stops, but that third down defense was atrocious and it could have ended the game sooner. So I will say, I'm going to say C as well for them. Special teams, and this might be a theme here. I don't know. I, You know, once again, our punting game is strong. The punt return game is strong. Maybe I'll give it a C plus just because I'm happy with some of the improvements in other areas. And I'm, I'm going to hedge my bet that if we get Trey Smack to be the kicker, we'd be a little more consistent there. And then we start to really solve our special team woes. So I go C plus and give them just a notch up because we saw some improvements and things we've been clamoring for, mainly in the return game. And then coaching. I'll give them, I'll give them a B. And here's why I'm going to give them a B because they kept that team focused and you can bet there were some things said in that locker room by Billy Napier, by that coaching staff to those players and whatever they said, it worked because immediately there was a spark on the offense coming out of halftime. They got a stop on defense after that, even when they didn't score. I, I think that they're, I think this is a good coaching staff. They know how to coach football. They know how to coach this team and where it's at at this stage in the program. So were there moments where maybe we want better play calling or personnel changes still yes it's not a finished product like we that's the theme of this team this year unfinished product but 
they deserve a ton of credit for the coaching ability that they've done thus far to get this team to four and two and for getting them to win their game, even when they played an average football game. So for that, I'm going to give uh, the coaching a B. And then for my overall grade, I'll go just averaging it out at like a C plus. So I'll set, I'll go 70, I'll say 77, 77 out of a hundred. Okay. Fair enough. How about you, Dustin? Yeah, I think something to really uh, point out with this game is it seems like the offense didn't play as good as we expected based on our score predictions and the defense played a little better than we expected. At least for me, I projected Florida to win 34-27. Obviously, the offense didn't score 34 points. And so for that reason, I'm giving them a C. Um, Like Chris had said, it probably would have been an F or a D minus for the first half. Um, but when it was all said and done, Florida did what it needed to do offensively. Anthony Richardson had that nice run through the touchdown pass. So I'm going to give offense a C. D, there was some plays that were inexcusable um, defensively. There was some, uh, there was some um, flashes of Grantham, as uh, I painfully like to say, in, in terms of some of the third and longs that were, that were converted by Missouri. But the pick six has to count for something. The second interception and arguably even more important interception by Jaden Hill has to count for something. The epic play by Ventral Miller has to count for something. So for that reason, I'm giving the defense a B. And for special teams, you got to make field goals. When a non-football fan watches football, the most notable thing they'll see is the the field goal kick after every touchdown, you see one during the game, you see one and, you know, kickers a very important position and we're, we're clearly inconsistent at that. And it could have cost us. I mean, if you, I know, I just want to point this out. Neil, you posted on Twitter, something that very well could have happened. If, if Missouri goes down the field and scores a touchdown, they have a chance to once again, defeat Florida on a two point conversion. If we make, just one of those two missed field goals, that's not even a question. So for that reason, special teams get to C minus. Coaching, real quick, B minus. I thought Chris's explanation was great for that. So I'm not going to go into any more depth. I think Napier is doing a good job at leading this team with the pieces that he has and he's building the program the right way. And then are we doing overalls? Overall, I'm going to give the Gators a 78% on this victory. Oh, so you and Chris are right next to each other with uh, 77 and 78. Um, offense, I'll give just barely over the pass fail threshold in the pass because they did win the game. AR did make a few nice plays. The running game was there when it needed to be there the most. Um, definitely going to give some credit to Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne for the way they just run angry and hard every single game that was on display again. The offense, though, I mean, Richardson with that that, that fumble, you could say it was really incomplete, but they did rule it a fumble, and he, he probably should be more careful with the ball anyway. He did throw another interception late, so... You know, and and they just have to move the ball more in the first half. You can't rely on the defense to give you a pick six and and have that be your seventy percent of your offensive production with you know with seven points there and three more from a field goal. So gotta do more than that, but they did get the job done. So I'll give them a D. Um, they they passed, but a lot to work on. 
Defense, I'll give the same grade. I'll give it a D. It was it was a passing grade, but not by much. Jaden Hills pick six obviously has a lot to do with the fact that it's a passing grade. Without that pick six, they probably lose, or with or without his pick near the end zone on another drive later in the game. Without either of those two plays, Florida probably loses the game because that one wipes points off the board for Missouri, and the pick six obviously gives Florida seven free points. So. Those two plays had a lot to do with it. But, I mean, Ventral Miller makes a lot of plays. I liked what I saw from Chris McClellan. He got in there, had a sack. Princely came out, had a nice game. But, by and large, this defense struggled. 370 yards for Missouri is by far their season high against Power 5 teams. Uh, And they also played Kansas State, Auburn, and Georgia. Their highest yards total in a game was 312. And they easily broke that against Florida and that's just not a good sign but then again this defense I think kind of is what it is at this point we have to make peace with its shortcomings and realize it's not going to do a lot of things and to their credit at least now they're taking the ball away so maybe we can just you know hinge our bets on that 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 they they can do that and win us some games that way but it's just not a good defense um I mean really top to bottom except for a few key players here and there like Miller, um, Jaden Hill, Jason Marshall, um, Princely, Justice Boone. But, you know, the, the sum of the defense isn't very good. We just have to look at that. So, anyway, D, special teams, C, because the two missed field goals hurt us badly. You, you make either of those, and it's a two-score game at the very end, and Missouri's touchdown to go from 10 points on the on the board by their name to 17 doesn't really matter because it's still a two-score game at that point. And thus, you know, when they score or if they score that last touchdown to go from 17 to 24, they're still losing. They need a miracle onside kick, Hail Mary, whatever. But we didn't make our kicks. Adam Adam Mahalik missed two from one from 47, one from 50. Granted, those are not easy field goals, but like to think, especially at a place like Florida where we've had Caleb Sturgis, Evan McPherson, Eddie Pinheiro come through going way back. Judd Davis, Jeff Chandler. You'd like to think at the University of Florida, we can have a field goal kicker who can hit from 50 yards and closer. And, you know, in, in two shots at it, Mahalik didn't do that. Uh, or in, in one of his three shots, he did that. And the other two, he did not. And that hurt. So, um, you know, the, the punt return from Baby Hendo was big. It's good to see him finally get some some positive attention in the special teams because of something nice that he did for the team. So definitely good to see that. Obviously his blockers helped him out, but nonetheless that helps. So say C for special teams coaching. I'm going to give a B and that is because the coaches did what they should have done with their personnel. They played more youngsters. They gave Chris McCullum a lot of playing time. Justice Boone was in there. You know what? I love Naquan Wright. He's a great person. Everyone in that locker room that I've talked to said he's a great dude. He's always keeping it light, always making them laugh. And on the field, he's great as a pass catcher. And he's not a bad running back by any means. He's an above average SEC back. It's just that Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne are better. It's, it's that simple that they're better. And they were the ones who got the carries, which was, as we all know, a big talking point in the Dan Mullen era. So, Good to see that happen. Good to see the personnel that Florida fans have been clamoring for get their opportunities on the field. Um, and so because of that, I didn't like some of the decisions that he made. I didn't love all the play calls, but because of that, I'll give them a B for coaching. Overall grade, I will say a straight 70. 
a fringe grade between a C minus and a yeah fringe grade between a C minus and a D plus. I think that Florida winning the game has a lot to do with the fact that it's a passing grade. I think if you subtract the pick six, Florida probably gets a failing grade for this because they probably lose the game. And unless it's a situation where it's the number one or two team in the country and Florida takes them down to the wire, losses are typically going to result in failing grades because by definition, a loss is a failure. But 70, because they got the win. It's an SEC win. It's the first SEC win Florida's gotten in almost a full calendar year. And it finally gives them something real to build on after they had that big Utah win, but they didn't do anything after that to build on. I mean, South Florida doesn't count because they barely won that. And Eastern Washington was an FCS team. So finally, another Power 5 win to build on and move forward. So all you can really say now, because this game's over and it's on to LSU next week. Can't wait to be at that one. Dustin, I know um, you and I are going to that game together. That'll be fun. Chris, we'll see you there. You'll be tailgating there. And uh, under the lights should be should be an atmosphere, man. Can't wait. And till then, y'all, if you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and nice review on iTunes. Definitely would appreciate that. Guys, any parting thoughts? Yeah, two things. Neil, I would hate to have taken your class when I was in college. Wow. Some of those grades were uh, very um, very lackluster. I'll put it that. And yes, uh, very excited for LSU. It should be epic. Um, the As much as we like to think that we can forecast these things, being the in all kinds of weather forecast, I literally have no idea what's going to happen. I'm going to watch some film between now and the pregame pod for that game and an attempt to give a prediction and some analysis but man oh man is it gonna be insane it should be a time man it should be a time um all right y'all stay safe stay healthy go gators see you in the swamp next week yes go gators always go great gators. to have the dub <laughs>